Well, hey, good morning, everybody in the room. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Good morning, everybody that's watching online. It's also good to be with you as well. Man, I can't wait for what we're jumping into and studying today. We're in part three of a series that we've been in now for three weeks, and it's called A Weary World Rejoices. Anybody else tired? (laughs) Anybody else ready to be done? Anybody else looking forward to, hey, let's turn the page. Uh, I can't wait that it's Christmas and just gets me thinking about gifts and some of the best gifts that I've ever received. Uh, But the one that comes to mind that just kind of overshadows the rest, uh, I was a freshman in high school. We lived in Chicago. My dad was a pastor, and somebody came up to my dad after church one Sunday morning and they said, hey, I have a really cool gift for your family and I'm not gonna tell you all of what it entails. And you know, usually that's weird, but it's like, okay, whatever, I trust you. And so he said, okay, I want you and your family to show up downtown Chicago and I want you to go to Wrigley Field. So my dad's like, okay, I'm in, this sounds awesome. Cause I mean, if you're from Chicago, Wrigley Field is like, oh, like, I mean, it's just, man, that's like the pinnacle. So we drove downtown, we went to Wrigley Field and I'm sitting there like, I have, what are we doing, right? This is, this is freshman David, a little bit different than today, David. Uh, but we're downtown, we're downtown Chicago, we're at Wrigley Field. And so what our instructions were that were given to us was walk right up to the gate, say you're the Dorner family. So it's like, okay, I mean, this could be really weird if someone goes, never heard of you, see ya, click. So we walked up and we said, we're the Dorner family. And they go, what? I was like, oh no, like it's coming true. And they're like, what's your name? We're like, we're the, the Dorner family. They're like, oh, okay, come on in. And so they open the gate and we walk into Wrigley Field and you're not going to believe what I saw. But as we walked in, the, the attendant or the host or whatever, she said, um, welcome to Wrigley Field. We're so excited that you and your family are here. There's buffets on either side by the dugout. Um, you can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want tonight. You can go on the field. You can go to the bullpen. You can go to the dugout. You can go wherever you want. So this is me and my family, like, walking onto Wrigley Field. And I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder, like, don't people get tackled for stuff like this? Like, when you, when you walk on the field, like, aren't you supposed to start running at this point because you have security that's all over it? So, so what we got to do, my whole family, we got to spend, like, two or three hours under the lights of Wrigley Field in downtown Chicago, and we just got to enjoy the stadium. It was unbelievable. I mean, and so as a freshman, right, I'm just amped, okay? Not just because there's food by either dugout, but like it's a buffet. We brought our gloves. We brought our baseball. So we're throwing. We're playing catch. We're on the phones. We we did everything that like, man, what am I going to wish I would have done looking back on this? And so this is me and my siblings right at the end of like our time. Uh, And it's like, you can see it It says, welcome Cub VIPs in the back underneath the scoreboard. We're not Cub VIPs. It was just a gift. Somebody else was. And they said, we want to give you and your family this gift, something that you'll remember forever. So what do I do? There was a news crew right outside the stadium, right? You guys ever seen that? Like when the news is doing a live report. So I always see those as like a challenge. I'm like, finally, I'm going to be on TV. So like I sneak in the background, I start pacing back and forth. I start waving and like pointing like... (laughs) I'm here. I'm so excited. I call my grandpa. I was like, hey, grandpa, guess what? I'm on Wrigley Field right now. My grandpa grew up in Chicago, 87 years old. I'm like, you're not going to believe it. We're playing catch on Wrigley Field. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, isn't that crazy? And he says, my whole life, the closest I've ever been to the field was I bought a little jar of sand when they resurfaced the field. 
I was like, how crazy is that? I mean, I, I bragged about it at school. I bragged about it at church. I'm still bragging about it today. I mean, it was like the coolest thing I have ever done. I mean, it's such a cool gift. But here, here's the question. I mean, with such excitement, I mean, I couldn't help but share. I couldn't help but tell. I couldn't, couldn't help but talk about it no matter who I was with because it was such an incredible gift that I received. How else would you expect me to respond to such an amazing gift? How else should I respond? As I told you earlier, we're in the three, or part three of A Weary World Rejoices. And if I recapped the three weeks, the first week would be this. Uh, there's a problem in our world and there's a problem in us. We're broken, right? You don't need a sermon to convince you of that. When you look at the world, you look at cancer, you look at brokenness, you look at division, you look at the world and countries, whatever, you just go, yep, it's broken. It's certainly not functioning at its top capacity here. Nobody needs to be convinced of that, but nobody also needs to be convinced that we ourselves as people, there's brokenness deep within us. There are things about every one of us that we wish we could change and we can't. There's things about every single one of us that are broken, maybe even talking just our bodies, that just ultimately won't be fixed. There's things relationally that are broken. There's division, there's pain, there's cancer, there's death. We, we look around, we, we feel it even not just on a macro level, but on a micro level. So week one is there's a problem. Week two is this, God did something about the problem. Week two was God sent Jesus and he said, hey, this is my solution to your problem because we broke the world. Hate to break it to you, but you go all the way back to Adam and Eve in humanity. We broke it. And typically, I mean, how does this work in any other context? You break it, you fix it. What happens if you can't fix it? That's where God comes in. And he says, you can't fix it, but I can. So here's my son, Jesus. And, he, and he, he'll not only fix the macro problems someday, but he'll also fix the micro problems. He'll not just fix the, the big world global issues, he'll fix the heart issues and the soul issues of us as individuals and as people. So as, as we stand before God someday, we're not looked at just by our own merit. It wasn't our job to fix it. Jesus fixed it and we say, I'm, I'm with him. That's it. So that was week two. This week, week three, it's all about this question. How are we supposed to respond to that? I mean, in any other context, when you receive a gift, what do you, what do? You do? You just receive it, right? Like, like you're grateful or you're joyful. Check this out. We've been in Isaiah 61 this entire series. Here's what Isaiah 61 verse 10 says. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He saved me. He saw me in my brokenness. He saw me in my pain. He saw me at my worst. And he said, I'll pay for that. Here's, here's my gift, the gift of me. I'm going to give that to you. And arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. So it's no longer our deeds, our actions, but his. It says, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. There's a clue in there. The first part we all get, we all understand. We're, we're joyful, we're gracious, or we're full of gratitude. Thank you, Father, for the gift that you've given us that we didn't earn, we didn't deserve. But, but then there's the second part that it, it talks about. We're going to unpack that here in just a second. But all of us in this room, if you've given your life to Jesus, 
I know that's not all of us, but if that is you, that you've given your life to Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, and you said, okay, I, I now no longer stand on my own merit, but on his, you know a couple things. The first one would be this. You know the relief that comes from knowing you're right with God. You know what I'm talking about? You know the relief that comes from knowing it is no longer my job to fix what is broken. So someday when I die and I stand before God, it wasn't up to me to fix, but it was already fixed through the person of Jesus. That that the debt that we owe or the sentence that we should receive because of our sin, because of our brokenness, God says, paid. So, So we know the relief that comes with understanding we're right with God. We also know the peace that comes from knowing God is in control. You know what I'm talking about? What a year like 2020, amen? As you look at the chaos, as you look at the division, as you look at the brokenness, as you look at everything that unwound and unraveled and just went crazy, there's a peace that comes if you're a believer in Jesus that you know God hasn't changed. That God is actually just as in control now, just as in control this year as he was in the past. So you know there's a peace that comes with knowing God is in control. And this last one, you know the joy that comes from knowing God loves you. You know that joy. You know the realization when it hits and you go, are, are you kidding me? Like The worst things I've done, the brokenness, the pain that I've caused, the sin, the, God, what I've done to you, what I've done to your people, what I've said, what, what I've not been caught for, God, you, you see every bit of that and you say, you still love me? And you know, that, that's why Isaiah is talking about, he, he talks about this joy that's just bubbling up and just this praise that's coming. We, we know that peace, but there's a second part that is required or intended in the gift that God gave us. And it comes in the second part of this verse. And it's this, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before, say it with me, all nations. There's a really famous verse in the Bible that talks about all nations. If you grew up in church, maybe you know where I'm going with this, but if not, I'm just going to show you anyway. It's Matthew chapter 28. These are some of the last words that Jesus says to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. So Jesus did ministry for three years. He was crucified on a cross. He died in front of everybody. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again, spent 40 days with his disciples, kind of doing last instructions. Here's the last things I want you to know. The last things I want you to do, I'm just reminding you, I'm about to leave. I'm about to leave. I'm about to leave. Here we go. The last thing, he says this. He came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Nobody had an issue with that statement. They went, yep. We saw you dead. Now we see you. We still see the marks. We still see, we still see the holes in your hands. We believe you. All authority in heaven and on earth is yours. So then Jesus said this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. There's that all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what Jesus says, his last words to his disciples, and then he just ascends. It says he just started rising up and he disappeared into the clouds. That's how Jesus' ministry ended here on earth for now. 
Scripture tells us and promises us Jesus is going to return the same way that he left, but his disciples were there, and his disciples would have heard Jesus' instructions a little bit differently than how we hear them today, not at a fault of anybody's, but because of language. So I just have to tell you a disclaimer, okay? Uh, I went to seminary, which is like master's degree program for pastors, uh, and we had to take languages. So we had to take Greek and Hebrew. And uh, I am not qualified to tell you what I'm about to tell you, okay? I did horrible. Uh, Greek, my Greek professor actually sat down and he looked at me and he said, uh, some people have it and some people don't, and you don't. I was like, I hate this school. So I transferred, true story. So here's the, the word I want to show you. Um, it's this one, it's make disciples. It's make disciples, if you've been a follower of Jesus, if you've been around church, you've heard this statement before. Uh, it's about discipleship, right? It's about making disciples. So Jesus says, go out and make disciples. Can I ask you, what's the recipe? How do you make a disciple? I mean, really, I've spent a lot of my life trying to figure that out. So if I'm, if I'm called or if we're called as a church to go make something, to produce something, man, that's hard when people won't, won't do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can't control the outcome. I can't control if people give their life to Jesus or not. I, I actually can't. So this passage actually has been troubling for me even for many years because I go, how, how am I supposed to do that if I don't get a response? Or sometimes we do get a response and we go, this must be the model, and then we try to replicate it over and over and over and over and over again. I want to look at this word with you in Greek, okay? So hang with me. It's make disciples. The word is mathetusate. And what's funny about Greek is there are so many different nuances in the language that change the specific meaning of the word. So if we parsed it out, that's what this is called. Welcome to language arts. This is going to be painful for some of you, mostly me, but I'm going to walk you through it anyway. The word mathetusite means disciple, but not in like a, like a, I don't know, like a noun, like it's describing a person. It's actually describing an action. It's a verb. Right? We remember, we remember verbs. We know verbs. To use the same form of the word disciple that is used, I could also look at you and say, jump. Because I'm telling you to jump. I could tell you, sit. I could tell you, stay. I mean, it's like I'm talking to my dog now. You understand what I'm saying? Like there's, there's commands that you can give that are imperative. The word that is used for make disciples is this. It says disciple. So if I could summarize it here, to make a disciple is to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to make a disciple. It kind of creates this loop that one feeds into the other. And so if we describe these, the verb means it's action. The aorist means it's past tense, but combined with the imperative makes it a command. And then active means you, you got to do it. So what all of his disciples would have heard Jesus say is, hey, disciple. That's what I'm commanding you to do disciple. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so disciple. And many of us would sit here and we'd say, how? How am I supposed to do that? Well, then there's three other words he uses in the passage that give us a glimpse into how, and in Greek, they're called participles. We use them in English too. They're I-N-G words. So I'm doing, teaching, sitting, you see what I'm saying? I-N-G words. So the three words that are used in Matthew 28, it's going, baptizing, and teaching. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. As you are going, as in as you live your life, as you go to work, 
as you parent your children, as, as you lead companies, as you lead school classrooms, as, as you lead in the marketplace, as you go, as you live, as you exist, disciple. You're saying, like, as I order Starbucks, disciple. You're saying, as I, as I raise my children, disciple. You're saying, as in how I do my job, disciple. Just to say, as you are going, do this. Then the next one, baptizing. All of us have the ability to baptize people. So, so when we have the pleasure, or the gift, or the honor of walking somebody across the line of salvation, Jesus says, baptize them as you're baptizing disciple. Disciple. And then the teaching. What, what are we supposed to teach? Teach them what Jesus taught. And then teach them to obey Jesus. And as you teach other people, you'd be amazed at how often we teach other people. As you teach, disciple. It's about the process, not the product. The outcome isn't our responsibility, but the obedience to the process is. It's saying as we do everything, disciple. Remember when I was in college, uh, I was a sophomore. I'd just given my life to Christ, uh, like for real, uh, about six or seven months earlier. And so I was sitting in my dorm room. I was watching uh, a sermon by one of my favorite pastors, and, and still is to this day. I was watching, and he was describing his church, and he was saying he had kids in his church that had led their friends to Christ, and then they baptized them at their church. I'm like, that's awesome. That is so cool. I want to be a part of that. But then I, I started thinking, and I went, wait a minute, I'm twice their age. How come I've never done that? And then I, I really started digging and I said, I've never baptized anybody. I've never led anyone to Christ. And I've also, I've never really even shared my faith with someone. Why? If that's you, I know how you feel. I do. For me, it was like a mixture of guilt, a mixture of like feeling left out, a mixture of man, wondering if I'm even capable or can do that. There's a feeling of fear that comes. And so fear was the big one for me. It, fear of a couple of things. I was afraid of what they would say. Anybody, if I shared my faith or anything about Jesus, I'm afraid, what will they say? What will they think? Uh, here's one. What if I say the wrong thing? I heard that that goes bad for people. That was a fear of mine. This is a big one. Uh, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Oh, then I look dumb. What if I make Jesus look bad? What if they treat me differently? What if I lose my job? So many of us feel all of these emotions, all of these fears, all of these hesitations, all of these concerns when it comes to discipling. And so here's what, here's the decision I made that many of us make, and we say this, well, Maybe um, I just won't say anything, but I'll live and I'll model what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and then they'll know I'm a Christian, right? That's so many of our responses. That was my response. Here's what's true. That may happen. People in your workplace, people in your family, your kids, they may look at you and go, yep, you're, you're, you're a Jesus follower. You're a Christian. You know what, what might not happen? They may never actually get to know the person of Jesus themselves. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. The invitation to us 
that Jesus gives us is to disciple in everything we do. The outcome will come. The outcome is like fruit. It's a byproduct. But the command, it wasn't a suggestion. The command that he gave to his followers was this, disciple. As you go, as you baptize, and as you teach. So 2020 has been a year, right? That should be a Christmas ornament. It's been a year. <laughs> Hashtag 2020, right? No need for an explanation. You know what's so funny about 2020, uh, especially like in the church world, is um, what many of us thought was 2020 was just going to like kill us. You know that? We just thought it was going to kill momentum. We thought it was going to kill people's, as far as like intensity or like allegiance to Jesus. We, we thought it was just the church was maybe going to crumble or struggle or hurt as a result. And I was talking to a friend this week and he said, uh, he goes to a church up in Fremont and he said, as we were talking, he said, we all thought like 2020 could be the end of us. He said, you know what blew my mind? It's done the opposite. It's done the absolute opposite. He said, we've baptized more people in the last three months than we did all of last year combined. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so cool. Here's what we need to hear. Do you know our world is hurting and struggling and more open to the gospel today than they ever have been in our lifetime? Do you know that? And what's funny is you add Christmas on top of it, and it's just the best mixture ever. In church world, we know this as a staff, but more people are open to the gospel around Christmas time than at any other point of the year. And so after the year that we've had, there is a harvest that is just ripe. And oftentimes we put a pressure on ourselves and a burden on ourselves that we must produce. And what Jesus originally said to his disciples is this, just disciple in everything you do. In everything you do, disciple. Point people to the person of Jesus. Share about the hope that you have in him. Uh, Gallup did a study this year. Gallup is like this research polling organization, um, and they're a secular company. And so you saw maybe earlier this week, if you're on social media, Brian, our lead pastor, posted this and said, uh, Gallup did this study uh, and just recently posted the results, and they said, uh, society and Americans as a whole are at a 20-year low when it comes to mental health. I mean, plummeted, plummeted in so many different areas, so many different demographics. You know what's so crazy about this? Remember, this is a secular organization. They said the one group of people that has actually gotten better this year, better this year in their mental health. Any guesses? Regular church attending Christians. Figure that one out. But it makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? When you have a relationship with Jesus, just like everything we talked about, you know that as chaos ensues, you know that as our world sometimes implodes on itself, you know we have a hope and a security and a foundation in Jesus that doesn't change. And it's a reminder that even when the world does change, even when things we're tempted to put our hope in do change and do crumble, we're good. We're good. What a great reminder. But our world doesn't know that. Our world doesn't know that if we don't share that. That's what's so important about today. If we read back in Isaiah 61, uh, verse 11, you remember when it said, the Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations? That was that highlighted verse. Remember that piece? Look what Isaiah writes just eight verses earlier. He describes the church. He said, they will be called oaks of righteousness. 
A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know what God's intended design is and purpose for us, followers of him? It's this, to be a mighty oak tree. I love this picture because there's nothing else on the horizon. You can see like a tiny little tree in the background, but that's it. You know, God's design and his plan and his intention for us as followers of him is to be like this to the world, to be a beacon of hope to be a signal of strength, a totally different kind of strength, to be a place of refuge, to be a place of safety, to be a place of provision. I mean, can you imagine in a storm, if you're in the middle of a field, where do you run? You get underneath the protection of an oak tree. And what God says is, it's not your job to become an oak tree. I'll do that. I've often looked or said or prayed to God, and I went, God, I'm not that. I'm not. I still have fear. I still have insecurity. I still have doubts. Man, I still struggle. I still hurt people. I still say the wrong thing. I still don't know how to answer people's questions. God, I, I don't bring a lot to this equation. And he goes, that's okay. I do. Isn't that true? You know what the fruit of an oak tree is? It's an acorn. I feel like an acorn much of my life. Tiny, small, insignificant. Nobody runs to an acorn in a storm. Doesn't make sense. But an oak tree produces acorns that grow into oak trees, that grow into more oak trees, that grow into more oak trees. You, you see God's intended design for his church? God says, I do that what I'm inviting you to be a part of is to share the hope that you have in me with everybody, with your kids and your grandkids, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your neighbors, with your friends. Disciple. Disciple. This is what 1 Peter 3.15 says. Here's what we have to do. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Can we do that? What it doesn't say is be prepared to, to share a theological discourse on blah, blah, blah. I'm out on that one. I'll just be the first one to tell you. Right? The whole Greek thing still kind of comes up, resurfaces. I'm like, not a fan. I can do this, especially this season. Man, as people look at you, you may not feel like your mental health is getting better. You may not feel that. You may not feel it. But compared to the rest of the world, you're, you're doing amazing. Be prepared to share why. Be prepared to share, I, I have a relationship with God. That he knows me and he loves me and he died for me. And that nothing changes because he doesn't change. That I'm safe, I'm good, I'm protected, I'm provided for. So all I have to do is just share my experience of him. That's it. As I go, as I work, as I live life, as I parent, no matter what it is I do, all I have to do is just point to the hope that I have in Jesus. You know, what's funny is, as I look back to like my, my sophomore year of college, when I was sitting in my dorm room, I, I just felt bad because I went, God, I, I've brought nothing to the table. I, I've, not even done, I've not even shared the hope that I have in you. But I'm open. I'm willing. I'll take advantage of opportunities if you bring them. You know, one prayer God has 
fervently answered every single time that I have prayed it is this, God, would you give me an opportunity to put you on display? Every single time he answers that prayer. You know, it's funny, I I had a friend group that I kind of walked with in college, and I just started pointing to my relationship with Jesus. Started talking about the hope that I have in him. Just started talking about how grateful I am for him, how, how things in my life were going berserk, but it's like I had this foundation that didn't change. And about a year later, I had one of my best friends came up and she said, I've never been baptized. I went, really? She goes, Yeah, would you baptize me? I went, nah. It's <laughs> like, yes, are you kidding me? I've been waiting. I got to catch up to all these fourth graders who are beating me right now. Of course I'll baptize you. I said, of course, I'd be honored to baptize you. I said, Let, let's get a group of our friends, like all, these people that we've done life with for years, let's get them all together and let's go to the local church that we're a part of. And let's just ask it like, hey, can we come in like on a Saturday and just celebrate the baptism of our friend? And they say, come on in, come on. We'd love to do that. So we go in and, and I, I had no idea what I was doing. You know that? I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't in. I had no idea what I was doing. I had a sheet that I read. I'm pretty sure I read it wrong. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is you're baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You gave your life to Jesus, right? Yes, I did. That's all I got to do. You know, I got to baptize three of my friends that day. My friends. It's not me. It's not for me. It was because I was willing to be obedient, and I had no idea what God was doing in the life of people that were right next to me. All we have to do is to share about the hope we have in Jesus. That's it. The, the byproduct is his. I don't get credit for those. There's, there's no credit. God gets credit for that. God is doing a work in our world right now, in our community right now, in our nation right now. God is raising up a generation of his people. And he has invited each and every one of you to be a part of it. The pressure isn't on you to produce. The pressure isn't on you to go make or create something. But the command that he gave us was to be obedient and to share about the hope that we have in Jesus. If you're in the room, um, hopefully you got a communion cup on your way in. If you're watching online, uh, if you haven't already, it'd be a great chance to grab some crackers or bread and grape juice or, or whatever you have at home. Um, it's more about the, the symbolism than it is the actual elements. But what we're gonna celebrate together is this reminder that, that when Jesus closed, like some of his last words he said right before he ascended into heaven, was I will be with you to the end of the age. And what we wanna communicate to all of you today too is that we are in this together. This is an us thing. There's no solos in the kingdom of God. This is, this is us in together in cooperation with each other, with the Holy Spirit as we follow the lead of our Father and the model of Jesus. And so we're, we're gonna go back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was in the upper room with his followers and he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And so just wait for one second. Um, we're gonna take it all together in this next song.
Jesus broke that bread. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then at the same time, he grabbed the cup and he poured out the wine. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which has been shed. I want to read this. It's so good. Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It was a reminder and a declaration that the blood that was spilled on Jesus' behalf was for us. He said, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. We're gonna carve out just a couple minutes here just as a reflection in this next song um, for you just to, to go before the Lord and say, God, here I am. I know I don't bring anything to this equation but sin, but brokenness, but debt. Father, I bring that and I trade it for grace. And we're so grateful for the gift and the sacrifice that God made on our behalf. And so when we take communion, we celebrate that by remembering it together. So whenever you're ready, go ahead and do that.